The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Today's guest, Yamanya Carey, evolved from a troubled teenager with a history of drugs and alcohol to a healer of others today. She did this in part from what she learned at the age of 17 when she shared in her grandmother's death experience, and later through her own NDE at the age of 23, an experience that turned her life in a whole new direction. Yamanya has been working in the fields of education, health, and wellness now for over 25 years, She is a master healer, international speaker, and workshop facilitator on conscious evolution. She studied in numerous philosophies and religions, as well as over 16 healing modalities. Today, Yamanya offers her own art of healing as a conscious channel for light language and vocal sound healing with the purpose of helping people uh, realize higher states of consciousness, the remembrance of their divine purpose, and why they are here. Yamanya, welcome to NDE Radio. Thank you so much, Lee. I'm really excited to be here today. Well, it's great to have you. Mm, uh, thank you. Y- Yamanya, Anya, you have shared many of the addiction problems that uh, teens suffer from today. And you also said you had uh, psychic abilities starting at an early age. Today we have the generation we've called indigo and gifted, our pathway to a more spiritual level. And yet we see these gifted kids addicted to drugs and alcohol and video games. So do you think from, from your experience that they might be afraid of their own potential and abilities? I absolutely do. Um, I've definitely, you know, I've, I'm well educated in the, the philosophy of indigo children and was had the opportunity of working with Nancy Ann Tappy, who created the concept of indigo children and, um, she said that I definitely was one. <laughs> and I, <laughs> and I think that, you know, um, we, a lot of the children that are being born now are gifted with so many, um, abilities to be empathic and, and take on the external environments and process it in a different way. And there's not a lot of people out there that are offering mentorships or giving them a sense of knowing that that's okay to be that way and how to work with it. So I know in my own personal story, over time, it became so overwhelming when I would walk into a room and I could hear people's thoughts and feel people's feelings that I turned to drugs and alcohol as a part of a way to basically turn it off. So, yeah, I definitely do believe that there's a fear around these gifts because it's not necessarily brought into the societal norm yet. And so they are are turning to drugs and alcohol as a way to, you know, cope as it's co- as a coping mechanism. Just just out of curiosity, do you think there was anything positive about your drug experience? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there isn't anything that happens in our life that isn't, you know, it may seem like a trauma in the beginning. And yet there's always a purpose and a reason that's growing, pushing us into like an evolution of growth. And, um, you know, what I got to experience through my drug addiction was, you know, understanding the darkest of the dark, going into places that most people don't get to see um, so that I can have compassion and a deeper understanding for other people who are struggling with the the idea of of addiction or escapism. 
And, and, and it is what's really pushed me into moving towards like the greater purpose of who I am and what I'm supposed to do. So if I hadn't had that, it wouldn't have been the catalyst to launch me into greater things. Mm. An earlier generation, uh, kids were probably taken to, uh, first Sunday school and then church and had a sense of the spiritual. Many kids don't get that experience anymore, and uh, it's my suspicion that uh, to broaden their understanding of reality, they start taking drugs. So, Yeah, you know, it's interesting because, um, you know, like you said, like a lot of children aren't brought up that way, and I wasn't. I did not – I was not brought up – in a highly religious um, situation, you know, we were Christian, we celebrated Easter and Christmas and stuff. And um, But I did have a one contact with um, religion when I was younger, where my parents would send me to a Christian camp every summer. And, you know, I, I thought it was just more fun. And we had like about a 15 minute Bible study, which I didn't really quite understand. Um, <laughs> but what, uh, well, what I did grab from that was a really deep sense of spirituality. It was actually the 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 foundation for me to be able to con- connect in with um the unseen forces that I didn't understand so i found myself you know um as a young child like 8 9 years old you know communicating with jesus because i could sense him and feel him and and that was the my my gateway or my journey into understanding the greater forces or the greater universal you know energies that actually work with us and through us Mm. So do you think that contributed in part to your finally getting out of the uh, alcohol and drug syndrome? I think... Yeah, you know, you know, with the drugs and alcohol, what they talk about is like really reaching your bottom. And, um, you know, we'll talk about my, my NDD at 23, but, um, I think it, it was definitely a supportive aspect later on at the time I didn't you know as a child I just was like wow you know I'm sensing these things I would see you know ambulances drive by and I could sense and feel what the person in the back of the ambulance was going through and and then I would call upon you know the God and just say let's pray for that person and hope that they get better so I learned at a young age the power of prayer um, and I think, you know, when you're overcoming an addiction, like finding the higher power is one of the steps. And so that made it easier for me to work through the the 12-step program of AA, for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Well, tell us what happened when you were 17 and, and your grandmother was dying. Yeah. Uh, so, um, you know, my grandmother had been sick for a long time and then she was in the hospital and, um, you know, we got the phone call and my parents called me in and I was 17. So I drove over and, you know, I was sitting in the room and it was really like there was an intense electric energy because, you know, my grandmother was going through that phase where she would stop breathing and you think it was complete, but then she would start breathing again. And so I stepped out of the room because for me, the like the anticipation and the and the trauma that I was feeling with my family was really intense. So I stepped out and took a few few breaths for myself. And when I stepped back in, my grandmother did take her final breath. So I was standing in the back of the room. In that moment, I watched a gold sparkly shimmer move out from the center of her body and then 
and, you know, go up into the corner of the room. And in that moment, my consciousness went with hers up into the corner of the room so that I could view the whole picture with her. So my, my father sitting there holding her hand and my brother standing at the edge of the bed crying and my mother standing there as well. And then I could feel that deep sense of love. Like when you're standing in the gateway between life and death, the portal of love that just pours through and I could just, it like brought shivers and chills through my body. So I was able to sit and witness and see the bigger picture of of what she got to experience, what she got to feel in her lifetime. And then I came back down into my body and then I watched the gold shimmer disappear through the corner of the room. I've uh, as a chaplain, I had that experience once. It's it's overwhelming. It it's, is. Uh, I described it as uh, a golden honey just sort of pouring down into the room. I I thought of it more as a as a, 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 a something th- thick like honey that um, now you're describing it as a shimmer, but the gold was definitely there, mm-hmm. and the love, the power of the love was uh, just. Amazing. Yeah, the doorway of the, of the what I call the death gate is so beautiful, and have, uh, yeah. Have you had communication from her since then? Um, with my with that particular grandmother, no, um, not so much. I just my other grandmother just passed away in May. And I was also um, given the opportunity to be the one to midwife her to the other side. And what was a challenge was because she they kept giving her morphine and stuff. Um, she was confused on how to transition completely to the other side. So once she was, you know, declared dead, I kept smelling her. And for like the and even the next day, I kept smelling her. So I went out into the forest and did a um, had a little talk with her and helped her cross over again. And with that grandmother, a week later, she came to me. I woke up in the middle of the night and I could sense her and I could feel her. And I looked over and there was like a little gold shimmer in the corner of the room, like her telling me, I've made it. It's OK. Here I am. Terrific. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then uh, now that experience with your grandmother didn't didn't heal you right away you were still stuck where you were as a teenager right no i think it actually triggered more (laughs) because i was like oh my gosh what just happened like i had no idea and and and, you know in the hospital room i looked at my mother and i'm like i gotta go and she's like thinking i'm upset because my grandmother passed and it was more just because i just experienced such a an an abnormal abnormal phenomenon i had no idea how to explain it and and I think actually being in that doorway did activate and trigger even more psychic abilities. So, you know, my, my capacity grew just from that, from that point. So no, it didn't help. It actually kind of triggered things to, to want to like turn it off even more so. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, then uh, let's move on to, uh, to your experience at 23. What, what caused your NDE and what did you see? Right. So, um, you know, uh, you know, the drug issue that I had, I, I tried to get sober, started getting sober at about 22. And, um, you know, I was in and out, in and out, in and out. And I ended up one evening having an overdose. And what happened was, is I knew that I took too much. And at that moment, I go, Oh, no. And I went to this place of like of open, expansive void. 
And I know a lot of people talk about going to the light, and I didn't necessarily see the light, but I was in this open, expansive void, and and I was given a choice. These these voices were talking to me, and they said, you know, you can come back to us now and be reborn and do it all over again, meaning like, you know, you've got this lesson, you know, you, you need to learn this, or you can go back now and finish what you came here to do. And I think also in hindsight, when I've like, you know, replayed this memory over and over in my head, I think they also showed me what that was. But then, you know, coming back into the body, of course, like the veils, you know, become clouded and you don't necessarily remember everything. But in that moment when I said no, like, heck no, I'm not doing this again because I was like already in so much trauma. I was like, I'm not going to do this again. Send me back now. Let me just get this over with. And so I am started traveling through the tunnel and in the back right corner behind my right ear, um, I started hearing the word breathe, breathe. Breathe and the tunnel got faster and faster and faster until all of a sudden I came in and I was just like took that gasping inhalation, that <gasps> inhalation breath and I was like back. And you know, at the time I had no idea what happened to me. I had no idea. I just knew that like the person that I was with was freaking out and was like, you weren't breathing for like four minutes and your lips were blue and, and then I'd had this radical transformation and experience so from that i ended up actually getting sober within about a month and a half after that experience mm. was this uh had anyone done cpr on you or did were they just watching you die they were just watching me die <laughs> <laughs> oh great yeah isn't that lovely <laughs> yes. yikes that's, yeah. uh, that, that's enough to sober you up right there yeah that you're not going to get any help from the people that care about you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was quite it was quite a, a wake up call for sure. Yeah. Now, sure. did you when when you first took off, did you um, find yourself going through the tunnel to this dark place, or were you just in a dark place? Yeah, I don't recall actually going through a tunnel. I remember like almost like being sucked up through a void space. Like it was almost like my body was being sucked or pulled up in through like a portal. Mm. That's the only way I can describe it. It's almost like being pulled into a, a zero point field, if there's a way to describe it. Yeah. And did you see anyone or was it just uh, the voice that you heard? No, I didn't actually see anyone. Although, you know, in hearing other people's stories, I'm like, darn, I wish I would have. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, the only, the only recollection I have is just being in this void space. And I don't think I had like physical form. Like I don't even recall like looking down and seeing my physical body in any way either. Mm. It was more just like the consciousness speaking with consciousness. But you had a greater knowledge of the way life and death happens and uh, what you'd have to go through to be born again. Yeah, for some reason I did. And, you know, you know, I have no idea how I knew about reincarnation. Um, but somehow I did. I mean, even as a young child, when I was exploring Christianity, I started going to church on my own when I was 16. And, you know, the, the minister said, you know, if you don't believe everything that's in the Bible, then you can't be a Christian. And I was like, well, geez, maybe I'm not a Christian because I believe in reincarnation. So, um, I'm not sure how I landed into that or how I knew about that, but somehow I did. And so, and it did come through in my death experience where they were telling me, you know, you can do this all over again <laughs> mm. <laughs> or, 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 or finish what you came here to do. So, yeah. Well, um, until the, uh, early church fathers 
came up with a decision against reincarnation, probably for political reasons. Uh, Christians, uh, there were Christian fathers who believed in reincarnation origin of being one of them. Wow, I had no idea. Yeah, that's uh, that was an early Christian belief. So maybe my philosophy comes from more of the Gnostic Christianity than some kind of encoded remem- remembrance from different lifetimes. <laughs> <laughs> Probably so. <laughs> um, now, uh, uh, let me think. Have have you um, have you thought about? Uh, well, first, let me ask you: Were you after that experience? Were you you, you were done with drugs? Did it take you? And and let me ask you too. You know, we're talking drugs as a very general term. What what was it that you were taking? (laughs) It's funny because people ask it. I don't usually talk about it too much because there's such a connotation and judgment around it. But I was doing cocaine and heroin. Okay. Mm -hmm. This this was the pre-fentanyl days when when people. I mean, we've got now what sixty-five thousand kids overdosing every year. It's a huge number. Yeah, the opiate addiction right now is just horrendous. Um, and, and it's, it's, it's very sad and scary. And I think, you know, but the children that, you know, what they're growing up in now, I mean, I was fortunate enough that I did not grow up in a huge technology, you know, era. I was, you know, we had computers in our classroom. I'm 43. So, you know, we had computers in our classroom, but we didn't have access to the internet until I was in college. Um, and there is a piece of connection that the biological human needs that are, are being disrupted through technology. And so there's this huge, you know, influx of depression and anxiety and drug addiction, which I think is all correlated together. And I think a lot of it has to do with this lack of communication and lack of connection that's happening. So, um, you know, the, the opiate problem is just a symptom of a greater problem. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, um, one of the things that people get seem to get addicted to today and it's not limited to teenagers is their cell phones mm. uh, i'm i'm amazed you know you walk down the street and everyone's staring at a phone it's yeah. it's, it's very depressing right. uh, and perhaps it was um, a gift that we grew up before the advent of uh, this this um, portable technology that you can get so addicted to right Right. You know, we're just lucky enough that we are able to have the reflection of before and after mm-hmm. so that we can bridge that wisdom of the before to the younger children coming up in the ones that have absolutely no idea otherwise. <clears throat> so we can teach them and show them that, like, you know, it's OK to put your phone down and actually have direct communication and look in someone's eye and to give them, you know, I have a child. She's 14. So, you know, we have some boundaries around technology and and it's like, you know, like teaching them also, we have to actually teach them how to engage with one another because it isn't been, you know, a part of uh, their natural instinct or their natural training because their natural training is, you know, so many parents nowadays and are, are like, oh, well, I have to get this done. So they hand their kid the iPad or their phone to watch a movie because it's like a natural babysitter. So this is how the children are being grown up to, you know, be able to, you know, parents are using this and, and, and nothing against the parents. You know, I used to let my daughter watch videos sometimes when I needed to get things done, but even my daughter didn't grow up with an iPad. She She's 14, and it's amazing how much has changed in just, like, you know, less than two decades. Yes. So, yes. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, 
Now, tell me how you, uh, or tell the audience, how you moved <laughs> from healing yourself to um, healing others. It's really interesting. So, um, you know, as I was getting sober, um, and obviously, I, you know, I already created a connection to, to God and, and the greater universe, and then I started... Um, Basically, I, I had this wake up call where I was getting tested for, for, you know, different kinds of like, you know, tested for AIDS and all these different things, you know, from my past experience. And, and I had this epiphany. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I've got to just do what I'm supposed to do. And I can't like wait. I was studying at an acting conservatory in Seattle at the time. And, and I just left everything and I went and pursued my acting career in Los Angeles. And while I was in Los Angeles, I also, um, came across some amazing spiritual teachers who brought me into working with Qigong and Kundalini yoga and working with the women's ways and working with the full moon and new moon ceremonies, Reiki and, and teaching me about who I was and what my psychic gifts were and how to to cultivate them and use them. And so during this process, I just basically screamed at God because being an indigo, I don't like to be told no and I don't like in limitations. So when the AA is telling me I can never have a drink again, I'm like, you know what? Screw you. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to show me how to fix this. And I screamed at God and I said, you're going to show me how to fix this. Mm. And so my teacher, one of my teachers had given me all these guided meditations on tape deck. You know, they were tapes back then. Yes. And, <laughs> of course. <laughs> and it was like overcoming addiction and, and, um, you know, reprogramming on a cellular level, meeting your spirit guides and all these different things where I learned about the power of visualization and intention. And during that time, I had these giant beams of light that came in to work with me. And they shifted my vibration to such a point that at certain points when I was doing this work, I would like the radio stations would change when I would walk into the room. I melted the wires in the coffee pot, the TV, the VCR, the dishwasher. My roommate was like, don't touch my computer. <laughs> I even melted wires in my car. So I had these high vibrational light beans that I actually, you know, in hindsight, feel like those were the beans that were talking to me when I was on the other side. And they came in and they showed me how to work with light and breath and sound and visualization and like concepts. I had these ideas and concepts and ways to heal myself because addiction really is just a symptom of a greater problem of wanting to escape. And that we shut ourselves off from our emotional body. So then that builds up. And over time, then we need to escape even more because when the emotions come up, they're so ferocious, we don't know what to do with them. So they taught me how to go into the emotional body, into the pain body, and how to work with these technologies of light, sound, visualization, and breath, and start to decode and unplug these emotional patternings, not only from my drug addiction stuff, but even family emotional patternings that I had taken on. And, 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 and through that, I came to this, like, you know, light language, which is this really interesting language that channels through me that works with, like, clearing codes in the body. And and I was even more confused at that point because here I have all this amazing stuff and and literally after a year of working through the emotional pain body and crying and and getting these technologies and informations, I was actually I am actually able I did clear and heal the addiction. Um, it's not that I don't have the thread of escapism still to be aware of and conscious of because it's it's a part of who I am. 
but I am healed from the emotional component to where I actually can go and have a glass of alcohol if I want to. And just one. I don't yeah. get crazy. I have no desire for drugs or alcohol. Or, I mean, drugs or, you know, even really alcohol for that matter. I hardly ever drink if, if ever. Um, but I can, if I choose to have a glass of wine and be fine. Um, so it led me to just train under master teachers and healers, trying to understand and explain like what was that information that I got. So I have a very vast tool belt of information from my exploration to understand what it was that I was given in that moment. Mm-hmm. Have you been able to help other um, addicts with their addiction? Yeah, you know, I haven't like really primarily focused on addiction. I work in so many different fields and avenues. I mean, I've worked with people who have had birth traumas. So it seems to me that a lot of my my work has revolved around birth and death. So I worked a lot with moms and children and babies and like working with them before they came into into birth and then also like afterwards. So if there's any birth traumas or um, things that they've taken on. Um, I help to clear and rectify some of that stuff. Um, definitely there have been addicts that have come through that I've worked with and helped empower them back into their, like, you know, their, the, the remembrance of who they are. You know, we get so shut down and, and told not to be who we are. And so it's really just like, like peeling away the layers and giving them permission. Because what I have found with a lot of addicts is that they are just so extra sensitive. There's a lot of them are empathic and extremely sensitive. And so part of what they do is to, to escape from that sensitivity is also to use drugs and alcohol. So yes, I have supported a lot of, um, alcoholics, but I also have worked with, you know, cancer patients. I have worked with a whole vast gamut of so many different issues. I've been very, very blessed with what it is that I get to offer. I'm so grateful every single day. Uh, speaking of infants, let me ask you what your opinion is of when the soul enters the fetus. Mm. <laughs> this is an interesting one. I'm going to say that I cannot tell you for sure. My experience has been that in my own pregnancy and with other women is that the consciousness of the baby or the soul is around the mother even before conception. And and so there is a communication that can happen. I know with my own daughter, I was in communication with her as soon as, you know, I knew I had conceived. Um, and, and I've talked with other, you know, consciousness of the children that are in, you know, in utero. When the con- I think the consciousness will step into the body occasionally to start to get acquainted and acclimated to what that is going to feel like. And then it may, you know, you know, come back out again. I think that when the baby is in coming through the birth canal, I think that's when there's the full lock in of the soul into the body. So there's like this birth because the the mother and the baby are working together in the birth process. So the consciousness of the body and the consciousness of the baby and the physicality of the baby need to be working one-on-one in tandem with the mother. So I feel like as the baby is getting ready to be born and maybe even like a day before or during the birth process, but definitely when it's coming down the birth canal, it is in in the body and especially as soon as it takes that first breath. 
But the thing that's really fascinating in, in working in education, and I've worked with young children for a long time, is that the body of the soul doesn't fully incarnate until they're about seven years old. So up until the age of seven, they're still, you know, kind of vacillating between two worlds. That's why it's really hard to get your child to remember every single morning to put their shoes on before school. (laughs) You're like, come on, honey, come on, we're focusing here. So there is this incarnation point where they are literally like dancing between worlds really a lot more and more until the full incarnation, until it fully locks into the body at age of seven-ish, around seven. Very neat. So, mm-hmm. in, in it's an additional level of understanding to say, well, the brain hasn't fully developed until you're a certain age, but to say the soul hasn't fully integrated into that body until a certain age. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, there's spirit guides, like up into the age of seven, the the parent spirit guides and the child spirit guides are working together at the same time to keep the child safe because like I said, they're not fully incarnated. So then around seven is where that transition happens. And so then the parent spirit guides step back and allow the child's parent guides to, or child's spirit guides to, to to really kind of take over as well because they're more in there. But yeah, the the brain develops as well as the soul, and 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 that's why we have all these children reporting their memories of past lives up until you know when they're like four and five, and and why they have the the memories of those things or memories of past loved ones is because they're still really dancing between the worlds. Yes. Wow. Oh well, this has been fascinating, Yamanya. Uh, we are out of time for today. Yes. If anyone wants to get in touch with you, uh, should they go to your website? Yeah, the website's a great way to get a hold of me. Um, I have, uh, you know, contact information there. You can email me directly through my website. Okay. Yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. And that's um, Y-E-M-A-N-Y-A-C-A-R-E-Y.com? That is it, YamanyaCarry.com. Okay. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Yamanya, for uh, sharing your story with us today. Thank you so much, Lee, for having me. It's been such a pleasure. I just, I feel so blessed to be able to share and gift in any way that I can. So thank you for giving me that opportunity. Well, you have blessed us as well. If uh, anyone out there would like to listen again to this or any of our past shows, just go to our website at nderadio.org. For more information about the work of IANS, check out their website, iands.org. And tune in again next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, for more NDE Radio. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening.